and welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. We're done fooling around, y'all. It's time for the second season. Conference play is coming up this weekend, and we're very excited to get things going in the SEC. Pac-12 is about to start. Big 12 is about to start conference play. We're just getting into the fun part. I'm Gray Robertson. That's Tom Canterbury. Tom, softball's getting weird. Two of the big four lost this week. One we'll talk about, obviously, in a minute. But, man, things are getting crazy right as we get into the most fun part of the year, the beginning of conference play that really starts an amazing stretch in the sport. Absolutely, yeah. It's, you know, February is fun. You get some fun, you know, the intersectional type games, uh, some games you don't see very often. You see the, the the five games in one weekend tournaments that go around. But now here we go into the real thing. Here we go to the real conference se- season when things can really get wild, where we can really kind of start separating the, the real contenders from the pretenders. And it's, it's going to be crazy. I think I feel like this first month was just, okay, Let's everybody get back into, all right, we're playing softball again. We're trying to be, you know, we're, we're being normal. We're, we're playing. And now, all right, now we're into it. And now we're ready to roll. It's going to be so fun to watch how it all plays out. We've got so much to talk about, obviously, here on this podcast. We're going to start at the plate and talk about Alabama's five-in-one week. As we were coming on, I mentioned that I can't believe Mississippi State was this week. But, yes, Alabama did beat Mississippi State 4 nothing in the previous seven days. And a lot of other good stuff happened that week, too. (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Overall, it was a really good week until Sunday. But it was really good. Like, Wednesday to Saturday was tremendous. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Sunday was the thing that happened afterwards. The WandaVision finale was good. I had a good (laughs) week. Yeah, it was really good. Fun times all the way around. Of course. Then at the plate, we'll also preview the conference opener with Auburn. We will then advance to first and break down week four of the sec our final big thorough breakdown of the conference tom because everyone's about to play each other again but i feel like we got a little bit of clarity on some teams lsu and florida in particular really jump out yeah we we saw some teams that maybe didn't play the toughest non-conference schedule uh challenge themselves here in the last week and we found some things out and we saw as with lsu a team that did play a really tough schedule and see if they were able to come out of it with some quality wins, which they did. So uh, it's it interesting to see how things turned out. And uh, yeah, I, I still, there's a lot of enigmas in the conference, including the only one that's undefeated. We'll talk about all that as we make our first picks. I'm so excited. That's coming up. You, you spoiler alert. You. No, sorry. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> also, when we advance the first, we'll do the FGCL Player of the Week, and then we're going to steal second with Jenny Dalton Hill. JDH is back, Tom. Not, not the best day for her. No, I asked mm. her to come on the show and I, I planned the interview so that it would be done well after the UCF Arizona game went final thinking, you know, Arizona will win like five, nothing five, one or yeah. something like that. Then UCF five. goes and beats Arizona. And I had to change a bunch of the first questions. <laughs> <laughs> we are apparently the jinx for a lot of people right now. And we apologize. Yeah. So that'll be fun. We'll, we'll catch yeah. her fresh reaction off that loss. <laughs> <laughs> I will venture to guess we are her first interview after that, after that loss. <laughs> Probably, definitely. Then we'll <laughs> round third and we'll talk about the big non sec games this week. One was Arizona UCF, but there's more coming up this weekend that we'll discuss. And then we will head home. We've got picks, Tom. You teased Woo! it, but here we go. So excited. You won to, uh, like, like every year ever. So we'll see if like, I yeah. can break the streak. <laughs> we, we're not counting last year. That was a wash, but I, I still consider much like you are the defending hot sauce taco 
Pick'em champion. I am still the Pick's champion in the SEC from 2019. And we've got some great series to pick, so we'll see. Yeah. And while we might not be counting last year, I will point out we both did nail the Alabama series against Arkansas, the only one we picked. Yeah. So, so there you go. We'll see. <laughs> also, we've got off the wall because, of course, we do. Alabama lost a game, and people – I mean, it was like an asteroid landed in the entire state. It was as if a disaster of biblical proportions had struck Rhodes Stadium that day. I was not surprised, but at the same time, shocked at just how irrational people can be. And and <laughs> I know the, the point of the segment is to point out the craziness, but I'm still amazed every single time that we can find so much content. If you're looking for rationality and perspective, social media, not the place for it, apparently. Uh, and that's what this continues to prove week in and week out, our off the wall segment. We have some repeat offenders and some people who only seem to come out of the of the darkness and the, the shadows when Alabama dares to drop a game. Uh, so, yeah, it's a here we go again. See, Batman merely adopted the dark, but some of these commenters were born in it. And <laughs> that is when they pop out after these losses. Look, I'm just going to say it, folks. I know your names. OK, I'm going to start giving initials soon to, to clue in. I mean, gosh, we gotta we gotta shut it down with some of these folks. But anyway, yeah, right. we'll get to that. That's later. coming up. That's yeah. coming up. Let's start at the plate. Let's talk about the Mississippi State win. And by the way, before we get to that, make sure you follow us on Twitter at out of the box underscore pod. Like, subscribe, leave a review. Go listen to past episodes. We love to hear feedback and and whatnot. And let us know your thoughts on some of the things we've talked about this year. I'll open it with you, Tom. The Mississippi State game was the best we've seen Montana Fouts pitch since what? It might be ever. Obviously, it was a bigger stage when she helped lead Alabama to the third place national finish finish in the college world series her freshman year with what she was able to do against Arizona, you know, and, and help leading Alabama to the SEC championship. But as far as just watching her and her just dominance and her effectiveness, uh, that was as good as I've ever seen her setting a career high in strikeouts, not just by like one, it was, by, uh, I think it was like by four, just movement up and down, you mentioned it that you had talked to her and uh, Patrick Murphy had mentioned that she had taken a few miles per hour off and was focusing just on hitting the spots and not about velocity. And that really just kept a, what is a really good SEC offense in Mississippi state completely off balance. And it was kind of like when they threw the perfect game against Alabama state, obviously a different opponent, but we could have played 10, 15 innings. And I don't know if Mississippi state was ever going to score if, if Montana Fouts looks like that. Fala Lewis struck out three times. That is almost impossible. I'm, I'm not sure she fouled a ball off. Like going back to think about it. I don't know if uh, she ever touched the ball. I'd have to, I'd have to go back. I know. I just know it was curve and drop all day, yeah. every day against Leilua yeah. and it kept, kept fooling her. I was so impressed. Like you said, the 16 strikeouts, Alexis Mack one for three with a couple RBIs, you know, the offense did what they had to do. And we'll talk more about the offense later on, but I couldn't have been more impressed by that performance from Alabama in the midweek. And um, I think it's also really a positive sign that yes, they are non-conference games, but Alabama dominated the three games they played against SEC opponents before official conference play. Yeah. 100%. I mean, you, I would, I would say that the three best teams Alabama faced in the non-conference were the three 
SEC games that they played, the two against LSU and the one against Mississippi State. And uh, Alabama looked tremendous in all three of those games. Are, are you going to be absolutely perfect all the way through? No, but I, I thought pitching-wise especially, uh, tight is exactly where they need to be. Offensively, you can you can make some adjustments. You need some more people to, to come through in some bigger situations. But for the most part, they've done what they need to do to win, and I've thoroughly enjoyed watching them so far. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's fast forward to the T-Town showdown. So you've got three run rules on the first two days, the loss to South Alabama, which we'll dive into in just a bit. But some stats that we really like. Bailey Hemphill on the week, eight for 15, five RBI, a home run, a triple, a double, yeah. two walks, a couple strikeouts, five runs scored. And then I've got a bullet point for the unsung heroes. Taylor Clark, three for seven this weekend with two RBI and a double. Savannah Woodard, three for nine, five runs batted in, and a home run. That was the grand slam, right, Tom? <laughs> it was, yes. We got the mustard and the rye bread, Grandma. It's a walk-off grand salami for uh, for Savannah Woodard. And that was uh, as as excited as I've seen as I've seen the team the two times during that Northern Iowa game that I've seen the team so excited in 2021. The obviously the walk-off grand slam and Kyra Lockhart's RBI double. Yep. Uh, and you can just tell. You know how much the team really likes each other and how excited they are for each other's success when when the reaction is like that in that type of game. Because again, it's you know it's Northern Iowa. It's a game. It wasn't in doubt, uh, but just happy of the success of your of your teammate. Great to see that. By the way, so the world knows if you want to hunt us down and, and hang out, we're staying at Lake Martin this week before the Auburn series. I might bring out mustard and rye bread for sandwiches one day. We'll see. <laughs> Good. I'm looking forward to it. Make sure you have the salami too. You got to have them both. Get oh, you know me. I, I bring the meats. I'm like the Arby's of dips and charcuterie boards. All right. Yes. So another big storyline, Jayla Torrance. She has arrived. And when I say arrived, I mean, she has fully arrived. Got her first save, got her first start, got her first win. I was so impressed. And I think there's a legitimate debate to have here about Jayla Torrance as we talk about where she fits in, is she a number three? Is she Patrick Murphy's clutch reliever this year? Is she a closer? I think she can play all three roles, and I think we've seen her perform all three roles and do so pretty well so far this year. And obviously a different animal once we get to SEC play, but I think everything we've seen so far has been promising, and the sky's the limit, not just this year, but for the rest of her career. Absolutely. I think uh, you saw – flashes of what we're going to see for the next four years with Jayla Torrance, what she was able to do this week. The fact that she came in and got the save in one game and then turned around and came back and pitched the, the basically the scheduled start in game number two and the opponent had all the time to adjust and was never able to do so just because if nothing else, Torrance hitting, you know, 68, 69, 70 on the, on the uh, radar gun, just blowing it past people. You're going to have to be able to locate uh, some some pitches within the conference, maybe a little bit better than she has so far, and not just rely on on the velocity. But that velocity is great, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. I'll certainly take it. Um, yeah, I think she could definitely be that that closer. Maybe you know, 
for a one-time through the lineup type person once you get in the conference. Totally agree. And I love the point that you made about you and I not adjusting when Torrance got the start, because I don't know if you saw it. I assume you did, but we had our cameras solely zoned in on the coaching staff after game one of that you and I series. And there was a long, long conversation going on. And me and Rachel Bobo were guessing that that was about whether or not to start Jayla Torrance in game two. I assume that's what it was about. Maybe it wasn't, but if it was, they stuck with what we had thought the original plan would be and Mm -hmm. it, it paid off. Yeah, I thought it was the I thought it was the right call because you wanted to see not only, you know, her have the start, but also an opportunity for her to face the same batters two or three different times. Uh, even the thought of, you know, say, you know, hopefully you run rule somebody like Northern Iowa, which Alabama did. You still had Jayla Torrance go through the lineup now three times. So you saw what she was able to do against a team having seen her multiple times. And there there's some legit hitters. I think Sammy Bunch was outstanding for for northern iowa uh so that there were some good players that she was going against and she was able to do that against sammy bunch might be the best player i've seen this year i'm not kidding like she she did everything right absolutely yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah i had two home runs on sunday against kent state I, i don't know how good that team is but she has my vote for missouri valley conference player of the year just saying yeah just for, we're not going to see everybody, but from what we see in the Missouri Valley Conference, she's she is the the cream of the crop. All right, let's talk about the loss. One nothing to South Alabama. Montana Faust did everything she could. Complete game, seven innings, six hits, one run, one walk, twelve strikeouts. This one's not on her. It was yeah. on a, an offense not adjusting to a pitcher who was just feeling it. And obviously, because we consider ourselves to be pretty level headed, we're not panicking. There's no need to freak out as some have, and we're not going to dig into that quite yet. But I do think that this is, if there was ever going to be a time to lose, and we said this post game, now is great because you didn't really have it hard in the rest of non-conference play. When you really break it down, nothing was very quote unquote difficult for this team, but things got hard in that last game against South Alabama, obviously, and they didn't respond well. So now you've got a full week before Auburn to learn from that experience and get better. And I, I think that this adversity is really going to help the team in the long run. I think it's similar to how I felt about some of the close games in 2019 that Alabama was able to come back from. I think this will be just as effective in preparing this team for the big moments later on this year. Yeah, absolutely. You never want to lose. That's number one. It's never like when – I hope no one asked Patrick Murphy, like, do you think this was a good time to lose? Because that's not going to be a good question to no. ask. Because you know, it's never a good time to lose. It, it leaves you a bad taste in your mouth for what was a very successful pre-conference schedule. But to lose the last game of it does leave a bad taste. But, you know, in the long run, like you say, the bad taste may be a good thing. You know, it, where you're not just flying high heading into conference and thinking you can just step on out there and and everything's going to go your way. You got to know and learn how to deal with that adversity. It's a large roster. There's a lot of experience on this team. There's also, you know, a lot of youth on this team as well. Yeah. Uh, So it's going to be up to some of those experienced players to kind of help guide along some of the, some of the uh, freshmen and sophomore, like you look at the sophomores, they only played a quarter of a season last year. So yeah, you've been around for a long time, but now you're getting, really your first full taste of what it's going to be like once you get into the conference. Um, And I think it also 
you can say it over and over again. If you're Patrick Murphy, you can tell, you can remind the players, but when you're Alabama, you're going to get everyone's best shot, especially the in-state teams. The in-state teams are going to give you everything they have. It's the, that was South Alabama's world series and they came out and played like it. You know, that's, that's just part of coming to Alabama. That's part of, that's why you come here, but you know, you're going to get the best shot of everybody. And if you're not, if you don't bring your A to A game, then you can get beat at any time. And that's what happened. Lackey, the pitcher for South Alabama was spectacular, but it was, it was tough to hit her. Uh, but like you said, there wasn't a whole lot of adjustments being made. I got, I started thinking later. It's like, I didn't yet. Alabama didn't have a lot of people on base. So it was hard to, you know, have the havoc on the base paths that Alabama does so well, but there wasn't no small ball being played there. It was, it didn't seem like there were a lot of adjustments, but there wasn't a whole lot of just trying to make something happen. The manufacturing that Alabama was so good at earlier in games when they weren't able yeah. to, uh, to get the big hits, uh, there wasn't any of that going on either. And uh, I think a lot of it, you just got to give South Alabama a lot of credit for coming out and, and playing really well. I totally agree. You know, the vibe just kind of felt off early on and it just never, it just never came back around. I don't know if it was the bad bounce on the Alexis Mack hit or the Baylor Hemphill foul home run that was, you know, just missed by a foot or, you know, South Alabama starting off the game, first pitch single, even though she was out of the box and you can go check the replay for that. I, I don't know. It just felt off all day. And sometimes that happens. This is a sport where we're hoping to play at least 70 games. You're not going to go 70 and 0. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's ever been done. It's, it's, in, it's about, it, it just seemed like at some point you expected the switch to flip, which has happened in every game so far. There's Alabama, Although they have jumped out on a lot of teams and have a great record in, in the first and second innings this year, there have been a few games this year where nothing really happened for the first few innings, and then you know the switch flipped. It just right. that just never happened against South Alabama, and maybe and maybe that is a good lesson to the players that you can't just wait for the switch to flip. You have to go out there and do it yourself. We'll see if the switch can flip this weekend because Tom, we are going to Auburn. <laughs> if there, that nothing should flip the switch more like having to go down to the Plains. Alabama, we've talked about it, what they did with, L, with everybody, the whole athletic department against LSU. The record is about as good, especially this year, against Auburn. That's true. Football, men's basketball, women's basketball. There's been a lot of sweeps going on against the Tigers, and I like it that way. Hopefully we can keep it going. Don't tip your hand for picks this early. But- <laughs> I'm sorry, yes. This is this is an Auburn team a little bit better than we expected. We came into the year saying, all right, Samantha Yarbrough, the, she's the one. I mean, she's going to be the, the key cog. She's going to be the ace. She's going to be the one that will decide how good this team is. She has not even thrown double-digit innings yet this year. It has been the two freshmen, Maddie Penta, Shelby Lowe. Shelby Lowe just won SEC Freshman of the Week. Maddie Penta won it last week. They're really talented in the circle. I haven't gotten to film yet, so I'm not sure what we're going to see this weekend. But I think that this is a different kind of Auburn team than what we were expecting. And while I'm not sold that they're all of a sudden really good, quote unquote, because their best win right now is South Carolina, who you hate. So, right. Apparently, the, 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 my arch nemesis, South Carolina. <laughs> this is going to be easily their toughest game so far and it's not close. And I'm not sure how they'll react to seeing pitching as good as Alabama's. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. Alabama has, you know, outside of the LSU 
couple ser- the couple games with LSU and Mississippi State. Might not have seen the pitching at the level of Auburn as of yet, but Auburn certainly hasn't seen it at the level of Alabama. It's just going to be up to – I think the pitching is going to be there. It's going to be up to whether or not Alabama can find that offense. That It's not like there's a huge issue. It just – it had an off game. Well, you've got to make that just be the one game and you know flush it out, learn from it, flush it out, and then get ready for this, which is going to be much like South Alabama – this is by far not just the toughest uh, opponent for Auburn. It's the most important opponent for Auburn. Absolutely. What you got was from South Alabama as far as intensity level, you're going to get that from Auburn with better players. So you got to be ready. What is your pitching plan? I'm going to stick with my what I've thought from the beginning of Fouts, Killfoil Fouts, but that can change if things – don't go according to plan on either Friday or Saturday for that Sunday matchup. But I would, I, start with Mon- I would start with Montana. Yeah, not a single Alabama pitcher on the roster right now has been on the roster and Alabama has played Auburn, which is kind of insane. <laughs> Have we faced any of the Auburn hitters? I don't even like – Alyssa Rivera of- is still there. Okay. She's uh, been there for a long time. She's been there forever. Casey McCracken <laughs> is gone, so we don't okay. think about her. But there are well, – one of the snows is gone because Oklahoma <laughs> needed needed somebody else. Oklahoma? Why? I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> okay. All right. That's us at the plate. We put it in play. Who are we? Well, I mean, she got a triple. We got to be Bailey Hempel. We have hit it so hard. It ricocheted <laughs> off the wall and rolled back down so fast that we are stuck at first. <laughs> or, or we laid down a beautiful suicide squeeze bunt as Bailey Hempel is wont to do. I totally forgot that was this week, honestly. <laughs> oh, it's tremendous. Might have been the highlight of the week for me. This has been the longest week ever. <laughs> <laughs> but we got a cool shirt. We got a Sarah Cornell t-shirt with a with a cornball on it. I'm wearing my Claire Jenkins shirt from a from a couple weeks ago. I like it. We're thankful for the gear, ladies. Yes, yes. Thank you very much. We're Bailey Hempill. We're hitting it off the wall, and we're advancing to first. And we come back a week four recap in the SEC. What are LSU, Florida, and Missouri up to? Plus everybody else in the conference. We'll talk about it here on the Out of the Box Podcast. It's time to advance the first here on the Out of the Box Podcast. That's Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. Week four in the SEC, we got some answers. We got some more questions. I realized something as I was watching a team play that we'll get to in a minute. Let's start with LSU. Wacky, wacky, wacky stuff going on in Baton Rouge. So the Friday game on ESPN2, by the way, like a big deal. Right. Oh, yeah. Is is postponed because of weather to Saturday. They finish that and then play a doubleheader. First off, Tom, from a broadcasting standpoint, that exhausts me. <laughs> right. Just even thinking about it is is bad. Uh, yeah. But it, not only did it, was it delayed, it was delayed in the top of the seventh inning in a 5-5 game. Uh, and Brutal. so we go to the second game, and I'm sure it's the delight of everyone there was no streaming of the conclusion of that first game. There was no no evidence of it happening outside of 
I'm not sure if LSU was doing radio or not. I think they usually start in the conference. So uh, our friend Patrick might not have even been calling the radio game radio for that one. So I'm sure that, that, that was a thrill to a lot of the LSU fans. And LSU had come back in game one. Texas had a huge lead in that game. LSU came all the way back. The Tigers obviously had the momentum. And then everyone mm. went home. And you have to wonder if that game is played out on Friday night, does LSU sweep all three games? I, I think it's a real possibility. It certainly is. I think that, yeah, the delay certainly helped Texas. And they were able to come back and, and score three runs there in that top of the seventh and win that first game. But a lot of credit to LSU to come back and get the, the doubleheader sweep after that because I'm sure they were disappointed with losing that first game. Man, Aaliyah Andrews, who offensively especially didn't do a whole lot against Alabama, like at all, uh, really was on fire against the Longhorns in those next two games. A slap home run off the scoreboard. Wow. Are you kidding? Mm. <laughs> it's just too good. That was in game three. Yeah, I thought it was a really great response from LSU. It was the first time that I've watched that team in a big situation and seen them get just angry and come mm-hmm. back with a vengeance because I, I go back to – Game three in our series in Baton Rouge a couple years ago. Sunday in Tuscaloosa this year where LSU just looked kind of lifeless in a mm. game that they needed more than Alabama, you could argue, but in both situations. But this time they were ready and they took it to Texas, a Texas team that was playing really well. So to me, I now have a lot more confidence in LSU after watching those two games. Me too. And I, I felt like, the fact that I never really lost too much confidence in LSU, I thought was kind of vindicated. I felt I felt good having never jumped off the LSU bandwagon, so to say. Um, so I, it was just one of those things where you can't judge a team by what happens in February. You know, you know, things are gonna things are sometimes it takes a, a little while to gel, and you know, similar. I, I've I've compared them a lot to the Alabama team of 2020. Because, you know, a lot of hype, they weren't number one, but a lot of hype, uh, a really tough non-conference schedule where they took some L's, just much like what we kind of thought was happening with Alabama with the Arkansas series. This might be that type of jumping off point for LSU. And to get that now before you even get into the conference season, uh, I think it, it bodes well for the Tigers. All right, let's move on from LSU. Let's go to Florida. This is a split with Florida State. Game one in Gainesville. Florida wins it 5 nothing. One hitter by Elizabeth Hightower, SEC Pitcher of the Week. Uh, she was incredible. It was a lights-out game. The Gators looked unflappable. It's amazing, though, what happens when you just travel a couple hours because <laughs> that next night in Tallahassee, Florida State got off to a great start, got to Katie Cronister, who had won Pitcher of the Week a couple weeks ago, but I, you know, I wasn't sure that she was ready for a moment like this. And you know, Florida State pitching shut down the Gators. So I still feel like we're kind of in a holding pattern with what we know about Florida right now. What, I mean, what do you think, Tom? Yeah, I think we still are. Like I said, the the depth of the pitching staff is still a question mark for Florida, even though they've they've done really well. But they, unlike usual, because I'll give Tim Walton credit, they usually play a pretty tough non-conference schedule this year. You know, and I'm not faulting anyone for their schedule this year. You played who was available to play. So I'm not there. It's I'm not you know, calling anyone out for it. But outside of these two matchups with Florida State, 
not the toughest non-conference schedule. So it's hard to kind of figure out where they were. So yeah, the, the depth of pitching for Florida State is still a little bit of a question. And, you know, at this point, the offense, you're expecting a little bit more from them. So if you got to find out if they have that offense against really good pitching, uh, we saw, you know, five runs is, is against the first Florida State's fine, but will you be able to do that consistently? I don't know. And they open with Kentucky Oy, in conference play. That's uh... the, the Enigma, who is also undefeated. Yes. But... Wildcats. Oh, man. The Kentucky oh. offense versus the Florida pitching. I don't even know. I mean, it's going to be very interesting. I'm looking forward. That may be my, I'm most excited for that series outside of Alabama Auburn uh, this weekend. For sure. I'm glad we've got conference series back in the scoreboard updates. You know, it's been since 2019 that you and I got to do an SEC conference play scoreboard update together. Wow. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Man. Stupid. As we're we're fighting off wasps and bees (laughs) at Plainsman Park, J.B. Borfield. All right, to Missouri. The Tigers get swept by Oklahoma. Game one. 5-2 5-2 win for the Sooners, you know, good effort. Yeah. Had a couple home runs off G. Juarez. I think they finished with three hits in the game. Game two, oh, Ooh. boy. it uh, that, that, that can happen. That can yeah. happen against Oklahoma very quickly. If you're not on in the circle, good night. It's over. Katie barred the door. It, it's it's done. It was an 11 yeah. nothing run rule for OU. Our girl Shannon Sale was sharp in the circle, reigning FGCL player of the week. Missouri never had a chance after the first inning and that is what Oklahoma will do to you they will punch you in the face last week I called Missouri Oklahoma light I think we saw that this week they can play with Oklahoma in some ways but they just don't have the talent that Oklahoma has despite playing a similar similar style offensively and with the pitching yeah and I think it's something else we talked about I can't remember if it was on on air or off air but we were discussing if you're playing Oklahoma your plan has to be you're going to score at least six runs. Yeah. It seems as though like four or five is kind of the, the their, their bottom, their floor. They're going to score at least four or five runs every game. So you got to you gotta go out there and mash right with them uh, is your only real chance. It, I, I would be shocked to see. I mean, unless you have a pitcher that does something like Montana Fouts, Rachel Garcia, or somebody that can just totally overpower you and have one of those games where you're just going to be untouchable, um, it's if if you're if you don't have that, you got to be scoring and scoring at a high level. Yeah, I look at Baylor, Iowa State, those teams. If they want to beat Oklahoma, they're not going to do it two one or three yeah. two. They will they will need that that six. I, I think that I think even, it was even off somebody the air. like Oklahoma, even though even someone like Oklahoma State or, or Texas, um, even Texas at this point, they're going to have to score that much because I haven't seen an absolute shutdown pitcher for the Longhorns yet either. So um, not like they had last year for sure. Totally agree. Anything else you take away from this week for Missouri? I think that we saw the dangers of the pitch by committee. If one person is off or God forbid two people are off, it gets ugly. Yeah, it can get ugly, but at the same time, you know, I think you can take a lot of positives from we were in the game against Oklahoma. We had, we had the opportunity. Uh, You're not going to face another offense like that. Maybe unless you play UCLA at some point, you don't see another offense like that uh, at any point. So uh, take the positives from that. And, uh, and I think that they're probably pretty excited to head into conference play. So meanwhile, while 
old Big 12 rivals are facing off. New SEC rivals are playing in College Station. Tennessee and Texas A&M met up. It was a great game. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but I was riveted. I mean, Ashley Rogers was superb all day, except for two at-bats where A&M had solo home runs to tie it at two. Tennessee scores. A&M should have walked it off, but it curved foul by an inch, and then Ashley Rogers got out of it. I, w- I thought it was a great game. Maybe said more to me about Texas A&M than Tennessee, even though Tennessee won. I expected them to win. I didn't think A&M would be as tough as they were, even when Rodgers was really dealing the entire day. Yeah, I, I was actually pretty impressed with Texas A&M. I was kind of in and out of that game because it was at the same time where Mississippi State was losing to Alcorn State. So I was kind of going back and forth between those two games. Yeah, I was impressed a little bit by what Texas A&M was able to do. But my goodness, Ashley Rogers, I haven't been on quite the bandwagon that you have been with her as of yet, but I could get on it very quickly uh, if she's able to continue this once she gets into conference play. That was kind of like getting into conference play for her, and she looked really good. Yeah, nothing to tune you up better for SEC play than an SEC team. So <laughs> right, it seems to be it seems to be the way to do it. Yeah, and Tennessee looked good in the other games. AM looked good in the other games. They had no hitter against Campbell. Not much we can glean from those, I think. They are projected and probably rightfully so to be at the, you know, in that group of four or five at the bottom of the conference. Uh, but they're certainly one that can rise up and beat anybody at any time. Especially if they listened to this podcast last week, they may have gotten some extra motivation, some bullet board material. Speaking of teams of bulletin board material, South Carolina split (laughs) with North Carolina. As I was watching the weekend play out and looking at the season stats, I was sitting there and it hit me. Where the heck is Kayla Drotar? And I, I went researching I couldn't find anything saying exactly where she was. I found someone saying she is expected back this week. Hmm. So maybe some of the things we've talked about with South Carolina are, I don't want to say moot, but getting Drotar back is a huge piece. And yet at the same time, I'm surprised that the pitching struggled as much as it did, even without her. And I think that's, as we've talked about a lot, the big issue Kelsey O's ERA is over three, and that's just too high. It's just too high for her. Yeah. That's been my issue with them the entire time, is that you can't just expect O to come back and be what she was in 2018, 2019, when she's been gone. You can't just expect that. And I, I have questions about Drotar. Well, why has she been out? How long has she been out? What is she going to be 100% when she's back? Does she just step right back in? Um, so there, there's still a lot of question marks in Columbia. Um, and, you know, we saw North Carolina uh, last weekend in the Crimson Classic. Um, they're a good team, but South Carolina probably should beat them both times. Uh, and they were they were shut out by Brittany Pickett. So with who's a good pitcher, for sure. But I, I think a loss there does give you pause. Not only the loss there, but also having to come from behind to beat UConn. That, yeah. That's also – that. that's even more – I think that's more troubling – than the, even the loss to North Carolina because Pinky could just have won those games and and it's tough to tough to hit her and you lose but you should not be down to North UConn ever. Do we learn anything at all from Arkansas and Georgia? Both five and zero this week. Both had to escape Arkansas twice against Drake. Georgia had the marathon game against UAB. 
I mean, I'm pretty firm in how I feel about Arkansas. Georgia, to me, is very up in the air, and I just know that's a team I'm not nearly as confident in as, say, an Arkansas or a Missouri or a Tennessee. Yeah. Did either of the big two storms or half pitch against Drake in either of those games? Mary half did in game one and struggled a bit, but she came in and kind of shut the door in game two. So it was a good response by her. Yeah. So there's that. And then you just always know that that offense is there to pick you up at any point. That's what they did. And Drake's not a bad team. So I'm, I'm not worried too much about that. I might be a little bit more concerned about Georgia. I agree. I think they're up in the air, but they have the, uh, the chance to fall off on the wrong way. I think a lot easier than if Arkansas was up in the air. Mississippi State five and one well, this week, but it was a bad okay. week, Tom. Like I said, you know, you you were down five nothing to Alcorn State, and it, it it was like this is not helping Alabama because we were very excited about our win on Wednesday, and then then you're not playing very well this next weekend in Sartville. Maybe it was just a little bit of a, a hangover and, and a disappointment that that hung hung over the Bulldogs. To their credit, they did come back and beat Alcorn, but. It's certainly worrying, similar to UConn, worrying that you were ever down to the Braves. Yeah, I mean, I wish people could see this. I wish we were live. I've got three question marks behind the final score of the Alcorn game and two behind Western Kentucky. Both Folly yeah. little walk-offs. Congrats to her, but it should never have gotten to that point. I mean, I, in one hand, I will say, you know, sometimes you don't play well and, and you find a way to win, so there, there's a positive in that, but you shouldn't have been in that position to begin with. Yeah, so, no, I, yeah. Tom, they beat these two teams the day before by a combined 26 nothing. Now, I know every game is different, but right. Alcorn State is not good. Like, I'm sorry. If you're a Braves fan and you're listening, we're glad you're here. Your softball team's not good. Mississippi State should not have been in that situation at all, and they were. And that, to me, is more concerning than maybe any result in the conference this weekend. And I, I'm not kidding. Right. Yeah, especially, you know, being the last weekend before you had in a conference play, because just like – Alabama starts off with Auburn. Mississippi State starts off with Ole Miss. So you got the, right. the Iron Bowl of softball and the Egg Bowl of softball all happening next weekend or this coming weekend. Yeah, that 317 team ERA also too high. And that's very uh, concerning. My yeah. my seat on the Mississippi State bandwagon is contingent on their ERA uh going down at some point because it, you know, I'm all in for the for the hitting and the slugging, but you, you gotta have the pitching that'll at least keep the other team somewhat in check. It's going to be very, very difficult in this league to win games eight, seven every day. It's just going to be very, very difficult with this pitching. We're going to bypass the other teams. We'll get to them. when We do picks later on because it's time for Gray's FGCL corner. Wow. Thank you, Tom. Let's review our winners week one for FGCL player of the week, McKenzie ball, Southern Utah. Week two, Haley Lee, Texas A&M. Week three, Shannon Sale, Oklahoma. Here are the nominees for week four. And by the way, I say this, Oscar nominations are closing, so watch your movies soon, people. And look for these hitters in a box near you. I like the analogy, although I don't know if I've watched an Oscar-nominated movie the year has been nominated, maybe in a decade. But I know what we're doing this weekend at the lake, Tom. <laughs> From Georgia Tech, Brianna Roper. Bree Roper was on fire this week. 7 of 15, 6 RBI, 3 home runs, a double, 2 walks, 3 strikeouts, 6 runs scored. Had the 2 out, 2 RBI double in the 7th, 
to keep the game alive in game three against NC State. Had a home run in game four against NC State. Had a home run in game one against NC State. They played NC State four times. Just a great week for her. Welcome back, Jenny Jansen from Southern Illinois. Six of 15, nine RBI, two homers, a double, five walks, a strikeout, four runs scored. Tom, let me introduce you to the MVP from last year, Mac Leonard. At the plate, 13 of 25, 11 RBI, a home run, a triple, two doubles, two walks, a couple strikeouts. Yeah, it happened. Six runs scored. Wow. Now let's move to in the circle. 16 and two-thirds innings pitched, 17 hits, nine runs, seven earned, nine walks, 14 strikeouts. That's good. Let's get yeah, to the – Yeah, situationals. She had the walk-off in the seventh over Florida International in a game in which she was also the winning pitcher. Wow. Also, later on, against FAU in the eighth, the game-winning RBI in the top half of the inning – in a game where she had already started at pitcher and struck out nine. She also had the two RBI single against Kentucky to give Illinois state at the time, a, I believe four, three lead late in that game before Kentucky did what they did and walked it off. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, wow. what a week. So you're saying in softball, you know, sometimes you want your pitchers to hit. Yeah. Sometimes it's okay. not unnecessary. <laughs> right. Got it. Got it. That's a heck of a stat line. I know. Taylor Gilmore out of Colorado State, 12 and a third, 11 hits, three runs, one earned, one walk, six strikeouts, got the save in their big victory over Oregon State, which is a good win. That was a Beavers team that almost beat Arizona last week. So mm-hmm. nice job by her. Shannon Sale, last week's winner, eight and a third, three hits, no runs, three walks, 12 strikeouts, was dominant against Missouri. And that's a good hitting Missouri team. Mm-hmm. And finally, our week two winner, Haley Lee, Texas A&M, six of 17, eight RBI, four home runs, a double, three walks, a strikeout, four runs scored, had her second three home run game of the year against Lamar, including the walk-off grand slam. Poor, poor Cardinals. Poor Lamar, Lamar. not good. <laughs> <laughs> but still, yeah, you know how much I, I dig the long ball, so... That's why I was still I, – I wanted to look over Lee's numbers once again before I made my final decision. I'm going to – I'll I'll vote for Mac Leonard because of the – what she did both in the play, at the plate and in the circle. Uh, but it, it took a lot to beat Haley Lee to win her second uh, weekly award, in my opinion. Hey, I'm with you. I, I love Haley Lee, but she, wouldn't, she wasn't on the page before Sunday. And as much as that one game was incredible – Mac Leonard was great in three games this weekend. And that was just, you know, games where she had the situational moment. She was pretty superb all across the week. So if we're making this player of the week, which is the title, mm-hmm. yes. Mac Leonard, I think, was the best player the entire week of all the nominees we picked. So I think she's our winner. All right, let's do it. Congrats, Mac Leonard. You did yes. it. <sighs> so it shall be written. Well, speaking of honors... Our next guest has a big one. 109 single season RBIs for Jenny Dalton Hill. Then Jenny Dalton at Arizona. Tom is pretty good. <laughs> she, she can hit the ball a little bit. When you look at her career numbers, she had three seasons that were at least seven better 
than Bailey Hemphill's RBI mark in 2019. That is the best in Alabama history. That's that's insane. Just to put that uh, in perspective. Right. Yeah, absolutely nuts what, what she was able to do as a player. And now just uh, a mainstay on the Seven Innings podcast. We got to make yes. sure we talk about it a lot. Seven Innings podcast. Jenny we Dalton got her in trouble that one time. I know. <laughs> At least she forgave us and came back on our show, which is always yes. good. <laughs> Coming up next, we will steal second with Jenny Dalton Hill because we've got the sign, Tom. Let's go, which, which we need to see more of it this week. Hopefully we'll see it this coming week in Auburn. Speed for days on the planes. Be like cheetahs out there. Just yes. Never stopping. We've got the sign. We're going. It's time to steal second. Jenny Dalton Hill is coming up. That's on the other side here on the Out of the Box podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. It's time to steal second with one of the best boppers in NCAA history. You know her as the Arizona Wildcat, JDH, the ESPN analyst, and also a part of the Seven Innings podcast, Jenny Dalton-Hill. JDH, hello. Welcome in. It's great to see you. Hey, I love being with you guys. It's been so fun listening to you early this season. You guys are going to carry us all the way through with Alabama softball, but uh, we'll try to pick up your slack with some of these games on ESPN. (laughs) We can't do everything, unfortunately. So, (laughs) And uh, a big game today, Monday softball, which sounds crazy, featured your alma mater, Arizona UCF. It was a shocker, if we're being quite honest. Number 23 UCF beats number three Arizona, 2-0. I assume because that went final about two hours ago that this is the first press that you have done since that game ended. So what's your immediate reaction to the loss? I will wipe my tears and try to keep myself, you know, in humble and kind, but honestly, I'm going to have to really tip my cap to Gianna Mancha because she threw an absolute gem of a game. She stumped those Arizona hitters with the rise ball. They were swinging at it. She stayed away from them. They were chasing. And that's not typical for an Arizona offense to chase a ball out of the zone. And that's exactly what she got them to do. And so I really love that um, Coach Candrea took Arizona on the road for this 10-game or 10-day road series. They play seven games in eight days. And for a team to be able to win strong at the World Series, you've got to be able to play on the road. And so I like this this kind of um, out of the box thinking, no pun intended, (laughs) to um, take his team on the road and play some tough competition. They've also got Florida State coming up in a three game series. And so honestly, for me, I love that Coach Candrea took them on the road and I love that they're being challenged. And, uh, but you just have to tip your seven innings, went the full distance mancha, the shutout with nine strikeouts against these tough Arizona hitters that, you know, you expect to see the ball fly out of the park, but 
she just really kept them at bay today. I know if you were ever to ask a coach, hey, is this a good time to lose? You would, it would not turn out well for the person asking the question. But um, like I said, at the beginning of this, you know, the, the stretch of, the, of a road stretch for them, uh, maybe this is a, actually a good time to lose because you can kind of deal, see how you deal with adversity. You're right. And it, right now they're dealing with some changes in their lineup too. Raina Cronco got hurt, broke her thumb. And so they've got a new second baseman. So that changes your lineup a little bit too. So early on, you expect to see some rainouts or some COVID issues coming in this pandemic, but injuries this time of year are also something you have to deal with. And so um, is there ever a good time to lose? <laughs> no. <laughs> right, yeah. Honestly, um, but honestly, if you're going to lose, right now is a great time to lose. Learn those lessons, play tough competition, and then down the stretch, you'll be stronger for it. But no, and we were talking about this before we got on the call too, is just Arizona, Alabama, that fan base is extremely spoiled. They have perennial powerhouses that hit the ball hard, play great defense, are amazing in the circle. And when they lose, everybody wants off with the coach's head, right? But honestly, losing right now is a great thing because those lessons learned now bode well for down the stretch. When the, when the opponent beats you and like dog piles on the, on the field or it's a huge deal, that, that's kind of like, it's like, it's almost a tip of the cap to you and what your program is. You know, you're always going to get the, the opponent's best when you're a team like Arizona, Alabama, UCLA, those type of teams. Well, I remember when I was a freshman at Arizona, we beat UCLA and I was so excited and I was kind of the one jumping up and down. And one of the seniors looked at me and she said, act like you've been there. And I thought, okay, so that's not how we act. We take things in stride. And one of the things that coach Kendra always talks about is not getting too high and not getting too low. And so that's, that's one of the things that those perennial powerhouses, those programs that are always at the top, top 10 programs, they do come in with a swagger about them, but also don't let a loss affect them. And so right now with Alabama and Arizona, they've got to see how they rebound. And that'll be the true test of what kind of team they're going to be down the stretch. And I think a really interesting time for Arizona to to, uh, to try and rebound because they've got, like you mentioned, the rest of this Florida series with three against Florida State coming up. And then, oh, by the way, Pac-12 play starts at Washington. So it's going to be really key for the Wildcats to flip the switch and learn from this loss and get ready for the next six because they're going to be very tough. Right. And Washington, another powerhouse of a team, the Pac-12 has a very different dynamic and they're um, conference play this year. So they play four games series against each, against each opponent. And for them, they play a single game Friday, a double header Saturday, and then a single game Sunday. Well, that second game of the double header on Saturday is actually not for the, your conference record, but as a coach, while you want to get other people in the game for that third game, get some more experience in case you have COVID protocols that come in and you've got to play some reserves. You also have to be aware of weather because then if Sunday gets rained, that third game on Saturday or the second game of the doubleheader or third game in the series actually does count for your conference record. So there's a lot of different dynamics that go into that Pac-12 season that we now are entering. Arizona going in to play Washington, who's had seven run rule wins. 
Um, but right now, Gabby Plain's really the only pitcher for them that's having a lot of success in the circle. So they're going to have to figure out what to do in the circle to keep Arizona in the ballpark. It seems like uh, this year we've really seen a, we've talked about a lot of big four in as far as uh, top of the, of the national rankings, UCLA, Arizona, Alabama, and Oklahoma. Uh, we saw Arizona lose today, Alabama lost on Sunday. Uh, do you think that affects anything or do you think that's still the big four? That's the ultimate question, right? Honestly, rankings, if you ask any coach, rankings don't matter until you get down to the bottom and you want to see where you want to be seated for postseason play. Yes, Oklahoma will stay at the top. Yes, UCLA will stay at the top. But remember, UCLA has lost already as well. They lost to Oregon. So this loss with for Arizona, this loss for Alabama, while uncharacteristic, is against a pretty good opponent. And so I don't see them dropping too far down. I'll, I will say Alabama, that was a tough one for them. South Alabama not ranked. And so you may see them drop out of that top four. Um, Florida squeaks in to that top, but then they lost to Florida State. I mean, there's so much parity right now, um, but Alabama, it, they don't need to worry. Even if they fall out of the top five, or I don't see them falling out of the top 10, but if they fall out of that top five or top four, like you were saying, it's not going to matter down the stretch. We head into SEC play here next weekend or this weekend. And so this is when it feels like postseason play every single weekend and they get, you get beat up. It's rough, but um, rankings truly don't matter. It's more the seeding that comes at the end of the season. That's really the most dynamic piece of your whole year's worth of work. I'm curious about your thoughts on Oklahoma because we saw them play Missouri twice this weekend. I got some thoughts from a couple of Missouri people from those games. Game one, you know, the Missouri folks are really excited. They thought, man, we we're in this game. We we're almost there. Oklahoma just, you know, had a little bit too much at the end. Game two, it went south really quickly with OU winning that in run rule fashion, 11 nothing, and it was out of, out of hand really early. Is there a formula at all to beat Oklahoma? And if there is, what, it, what is it? Because we seem to think that right now the magic number is five. You've got to find a way to hold Oklahoma to five runs and hope to score six, and that's kind of it. <laughs> That does seem to be the magic number, right? With the loss or with the Houston close game, it was 5-3. With the ASU close game, it was 5-3. With the Mizzou close game, it was 5-2. So you're right. Five is that magic number. Um, but honestly, it's going to come down to keeping them in the ballpark. It's going to come down to what do you have in the circle. Um, Oklahoma right now is 17-0 on the season, and 14 of those games have been run rule wins. They've got so much power in their lineup. I mean, we could list off so many of their hitters that just have so much power, but the one that I have my eye on right now is Tiara, Jen Tiara Jennings is just the freshman phenom, right? Um, every year, I, this is a personal note, but every year I kind of star the player that could potentially give my RBI number a run for its money. That, not, that record has sat for so many years. And I, that's the one that I like, my crown glory, like touch it, please. But um, I think she may have a chance. The way that she has come out of the gate, like gangbusters, she reminds me of Jocelyn Alo's freshman year too, just how powerful she's been um, playing. And then defensively, they've shifted her all around the infield because of COVID protocols and 
I'm just been so impressed with her. So how do you beat Oklahoma? Five's the magic number, just like you said, but also keep them in the ballpark. Make them earn their trips around the bases rather than letting the ball fly out of the yard. I now I now have a, a vision of JDH at the end of the season doing like Mercury Morris and the 72 Dolphins with this with this champagne when the RBI total still still stands every year. <laughs> well, you can keep that that vision because it's probably <laughs> kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you mentioned earlier about uh, UCLA has lost the game this year and it came to Oregon, which I think may be the team if anyone does jump out and knock either Alabama or Arizona out of the top four. I think it might be Oregon because they're still undefeated with that win. But UCLA had that loss, but it was out without Rachel Garcia. She came back this week and uh, looked to pick up right where she left off. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on the Bruins moving forward as you know we've seen them this year could be a generationally great team? Well, you say UCLA and you just think team of winners. Honestly, they know how to win. They're coached by people who know how to win. I mean, from top to bottom, they just get it. And they've been there. They are the reigning national champion because 2020 did not give us a new one. Um, right now, UCLA has six hitters hitting over 350, but they've only got 15 team home runs. And so I say only, only because we just talked about Oklahoma. Um, they they have 15 in a game sometimes (laughs) right how crazy is that anyway (laughs) but um for me the key is going to be um Rachel Garcia staying healthy to help out Megan Framo in the circle um Framo is at 36 and a third innings pitched right now she's got 48 strikeouts she is dynamic she held her own in 2020 And we just had seen the beginning of her and the prowess she was going to be able to have in the circle without Rachel Garcia. Well, now with Rachel Garcia back um, as she prepares for the Olympics this summer, Megan Faramo and Rachel Garcia need to team up together. There is Holly Azevedo and Lexi Sosa who will be able to get in the mix as well. But I think it really relies on the arms of Megan Faramo and Rachel Garcia in the circle. Florida and Florida State split a pair this week as they did the home and home thing and both won on their home field. Uh, what did you see from both Florida, who I think has that possibility uh, kind of, of being a top team in the SEC again this year, as, as they usually are? And then Florida State has had a little bit up and down, but uh, obviously always one of the top in the conference in the ACC. In that first game, neither team was, was clean defensively. And that was kind of a thing that was surprising to me with Florida being known for the defensive play that they always bring to the field. So those miscues defensively, they were cleaned up in game two. Nobody had an error in game two, but um, when it comes to Florida, it Charla Eccles and Kendall Lindemann, good gravy to see the power that they bring to the plate. So much fun because the ball can leave the ballpark anytime. And I think it's really hard to hit a home run at Florida stadium. The air is heavy, but these two make it look easy. Um, The key to Florida right now for me is Elizabeth Hightower, a COVID sophomore, and she just shows so much control. Um, She's 7-0 on the season, and uh, just watching her throw, so much confidence. Her ERA right now sitting at .69. She's thrown 40 and two-thirds innings. I mean, for me, Hightower is the key for Florida and getting the um, run production out of Eccles and Lindemann. 
they're going to be tough to beat, but they've also shown vulnerability keeping um, just low scoring games. Mm-hmm. I've actually been pleasantly surprised by Hightower because, I mean, we've seen Florida a million times over the last five years or whatever. And, and, and I think since she got on campus a couple of years ago, she has improved so much. And I was really blown away by her performance against Florida State because while that offense is pretty inconsistent, they do have the ability to put up seven runs like they did the next night against Florida. Yeah, I was very impressed with Hightower. And there's a group of us um, on another podcast that has a seven in it. We have this um, group chat that we go back and forth on during these big games. And that was one where everybody was kind of like, have you seen Hightower? She's doing so well. I mean, all of us were just grateful to see that kind of performance out of another Florida pitcher because it has felt a little bit like, a, like there's been a little bit of a drought. That's not to say that they haven't been good, but that dominant pitcher stepping in the circle, I think Hightower is that new name that we will see for Florida. Yeah, Tom and I really missed dominant pitching from Florida. It's <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It literally, it literally took a worldwide pandemic for Alabama and Florida not to play last season. That's the only way it was not going to happen. Hey, whatever works. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny Dalton Hill joining us. JDH, before we let you go, you're back on TV this week. Uh, it's It's been a while, right? First time this year? Yes, so excited. So on TV, but not on campus, right? That's yeah. the part about this pandemic. So with ESPN, we announced from home this year. So we've got the cameras and the computers and the monitors all set up at home. And we'll be, I will be sitting at home calling the Arkansas South Carolina game on Sunday this week. So I assume that also means you'll watch the rest of the games in the series, getting ready for that Sunday broadcast. What do you expect? Because Tom is a South Carolina hater. He had South Carolina last in his preseason poll. We both love Arkansas. Courtney Diefel is one of our favorite coaches to talk Mm -hmm. to. We're big Mary half believers right now. How does this play out? What do you think? How does it play out? Well, that's why you play the game because the game doesn't right but honestly um Arkansas sitting at 16 and 2 right now South Carolina sitting at 12 and 3 now they both have a midweek matchup so those numbers will change um but the losses that Arkansas has to me um were a little bit more hard fought if that makes sense so they lost to Oklahoma State in a 12-11 loss went 14 and they went 14 innings against McNeese and pulled out the win. Um, But then they lost to McNeese seven to four. I mean, these back and forth battles. So McNeese was the one that um, gave Arkansas the biggest struggle. Um, But South Carolina, I think right now the difficulty for South Carolina is in the circle. Kelsey O was hurt in 2020 has not really returned to her 2019 form. And so for them, they've got to get Kelsey O back into Kelsey O form. Um, Bailey Beatenbaugh has been a great addition to them in the circle. Um, She's got a 0.7 ERA. So for me, I really like Beatenbaugh being able to pull up um, where Kelsey O right now is just not able to pull it out. Um, And then you've got three other pitchers for them in the circle. Um, 
So they've got a full staff. I don't know that we will see one pitcher go the distance for South Carolina in any game. I think right now that Coach Smith will probably pitch by committee through SEC play. Hmm. Where Arkansas in the circle, you're going to see the Mary Half and Autumn Storm show is my guess. Um, Mary Half has proven that she can go the distance in games. She's already pitched 56 in the third innings with a 0.87 ERA. Autumn Storms is undefeated on this season, but her ERA is 1.94. And so Mary Half, that hard drop ball, so hard to elevate and get out of the um, yard. Mary Half's a big piece of Arkansas, um, but they've really only got two arms in the circle that I think that they will rely on through SEC play. Um, and then you go into offenses for both teams, right? The yeah. offenses for these teams, for South Carolina, you got Cassidy Krupit, who leads the SEC right now in RBI. She also leads the SEC in sack flies. So um, at the end of February, she had three straight games with a home run. So for me, Cassidy Krupit, big RBI producer. And then you add in Mackenzie Bozel, Kenzie McGuire, and Katie Preble. They set the table. So and have the power to push people around. So for me, those are who you need to watch for offensively for South Carolina. Arkansas, though. Man, the ball's leaving the park like crazy. Braxton Burnside, National Player of the Year for some um, different outlets a couple of weeks ago, had six home runs and 11 RBIs and um, right now leads the SEC in home runs with 11 with a 443 batting average. And then Danielle Gibson, we all know her because she hit the cycle in home runs, right? Back in 2019. And so Danielle Gibson, Braxton Burnside, those two, holy cow, lots of home run power. And for me, I like the run production that Arkansas is able to put up on the board because of those. So this actually is going to be a dogfight to be able to see who goes the distance. I think it honestly all comes down to the circle for these two. Yeah, with, with Arkansas, I think a lot of it has to do with Mary Half because we've seen Autumn Storms be absolutely light out, lights out on Friday. But then if she comes back and pitches on Sunday is more susceptible the second time around. If half can maybe pitch those two times and keep that one time for autumn storms or they split maybe on Sunday, something like that, that seems to be, I think, a, a winning formula for the Razorbacks. And that's a great point, Tom, because if you think about it, the SEC is lucky that they didn't change their format. If you think about what the Pac-12 is being asked to do and play four games against, against the team, it's going to be crazy in the Pac-12 because your arms are going to be known by the end. And so not only are you going to be hit around a little bit more, but how do you rebound as a pitcher? And now granted, I've never been in the circle with that kind of pressure, but how do you respond when you do get hit around? So right now the SEC, because they're staying with that three game series, it's kind of going to be Friday starter, Saturday starter and split it on Sunday. That's a good point. I, uh, I hadn't thought about that, how different this season might look if we were going with four. Oh. What would I, I, I don't know if I could deal with it. That's too much poster <laughs> board anyway for the board. So it, it wouldn't I wouldn't be able to handle it. <laughs> you think you can't handle it? Imagine as a pitcher in the circle trying to face the same lineup over oh. and, and just getting trying to reinvent yourself. That's why the COVID time, hopefully these pitchers have added a new pitch or learned how to change speeds. I think that was the piece in the Alabama series where Montana was vulnerable, not having that dy dynamic off-speed pitch to keep hitters off balance. I mean, she gave up what, six hits or something in that matchup? 
but um, yeah, I love Montana. Montana is one of my favorite kids in the world. And I was heartbroken for her, but I actually that she was able to face that kind of adversity right now. It, it wasn't her fault. We know that much. Yeah. Nope. If you allow one run, it should be enough to win. It just was one of, the, one of them days. It happens. <laughs> it happens to the best of them. Yeah. The bats get silent. I'm sure there's been some kind of ceremony that Patrick Murphy has done over the last couple of days to wake the bats up, get them back to normal, and you'll see them liven up this week. But I'm glad that we could cover everything else here on the show with Jenny Dalton Hill. Uh, JDH, thanks so much. You're, you're so awesome. And we're always glad to talk with you. You guys are the best. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, am I supposed to say roll tide at the end of this? Oh, yes. We'll take it. <laughs> no one's ever done that before. Wow. <laughs> roll tide. Go cats. They both need a little love, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Both UAs. We'll take it. That's right. <laughs> All right. So that was JDH. And now, Tom, it's time to look around the country because, shocker, there are good games happening besides in the SEC. And now that we're in conference play, there's more of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's just not the one matchup. You're going to have three or four in some places, as we talked about with JDH. But going, I can't imagine doing what the Pac-12 and the ACC are doing. Man. It's wacky. We'll dig into a bit of it as we get ready to round third here on the Out of the Box podcast. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Time to round third here on the Out of the Box podcast. But first, Tom, I mean, JDH, what a what a freaking delight. <laughs> she's the oh, best. She's awesome. Yeah. Thoroughly. I love talking to all the all the seven innings podcast people. They all bring they're somewhat somewhat like the Alabama pitching staff. They all bring a little something different to the table. That's why that's why I love getting to talk with them, Tom, because on seven innings and, and I think it's a good show. And I think in particular, it's really gotten a ton better in the last couple of years as they've been able to talk more in depth about certain things. But I just love being able to hear everybody's opinions for like a full 30 minutes or, or 25 minutes or however long we talk to them, because if right. you clock it, they probably only get seven to 10 minutes each on seven innings just because there's so many people on there but it's really great to hear all the opinions that everybody has and and just how much everyone involved in that podcast no surprise loves the sport of softball and is excited to see what this year will be absolutely yeah they they have the uh, the expanded roster also like the Alabama softball team <laughs> and so yeah so when you when you have that many people talking sometimes you don't get to have your full uh, extended thoughts put out there and that's, that's why we like to, to talk to some of them and, and we get to hear what their full full thoughts are as, they, as we go a little bit deeper into certain subjects. Who knows where we'll go next? Who I, knows? I know, maybe, but you'll find out on Sunday, Tom. So <laughs> it's always it's always my favorite part of the Sunday broadcast, especially this past weekend. Uh, my favorite part of the broadcast, <laughs> finding out who the next uh, guest is going to be here on Out of the Box. Well, it was JDH tonight. We'll find out about next week. We've got so much to cover before we get to next week's show and a lot of games yes. and, and not just SEC games. And we've got big time games happening outside the conference. And, you know, even though conference play is starting, a couple non-conference matchups this weekend that we'll talk about. First, we saw a game today, Arizona UCF. I watched a good bit of it. That uh, I, I was surprised at how much Arizona struggled today, but – you know, the week's not over for them because they've got 
three games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all in Tallahassee against Florida State, and that's just the tip of the iceberg and what's going to be a big week. Yeah, and, it, and you can kind of maybe take that into consideration, too, of we got Florida State on the horizon. Maybe there was a little bit of a look ahead. You know, I could maybe see it kind of be in their head that we're supposed to be hitting home runs and just blowing this team out, and, it, you know, you get really over-anxious. That might have been what happened to them offensively, uh, chasing the rise ball, like you said. So we'll see what happens Move on as we move forward. Wednesday, Auburn's at Troy. Troy made the odd decision not to pitch Leanna Johnson last week on Thursday. Then they had just chaos rain down in a game against Southern Miss where right. music was played and a game is being contested. And it sounds like Troy has a really good case. So they've got to find a way to push that all out and take on an Auburn team at home in Troy before Auburn faces Alabama. We assume it will be Johnson. We assume it will be Johnson probably versus Lowe or Pinta. I would guess Lowe since Pinta threw last time. Could be a battle. It hurt my feelings they didn't pitch Johnson the first time. Hopefully they'll they'll, they'll do it this time to be able to have a, a good shot because I want to see what Auburn's offense does against a really good pitcher. And I, you know, I think Johnson, we talked about it last week, Johnson would be starting at a lot of SEC team schools right now. So um, we'll, we'll see how they do there. I still need to know what happened against Southern Miss. That seemed like a crazy situation. I, I can't imagine it. Like if, if that was what was happening in one of our games, I don't know what I would say. I don't know what I would say either, partially because I don't really understand what happened. Also yeah. because I think the fury would be, I mean, we might never be able to broadcast another game right. because we yeah. didn't find. I think it would have been it's very similar to uh, – when uh, Bailey Hempel's home run was disallowed at, at Ole Miss and the postgame show there, which was, all of this is dumb. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. That's <laughs> pretty much my entire postgame for that one. All right, other games this week. Tom, what sticks out to you? Because to me, I see games that could be good. I'm not 100% sure if they will be good. Um, Indiana, Northwestern a couple times. Obviously, go Hoosiers a fan mm -hmm. of our Indiana squad. And I think that they can maybe get a game or two from Northwestern Baylor, Arizona state could be interesting after Baylor crushed Louisiana last week, Houston, Oklahoma. Again, that's an OKC at hall of fame stadium, which will be fun. Liberty, Oklahoma Ooh. the next day. What about you? What, what do you think, Tom? Well, one that jumped out is the one coming up tomorrow. Uh, assuming they're able to play it is Virginia tech at Virginia, just because I want to see what the, Hokies look like after coming off of the uh, the COVID pause that they were on. Um, so there's that. Um, and then I I would love I want to see what the new OKC Stadium, what the new renovations look like because they had them all done ready for the World Series last year, and then of course it didn't happen. So hopefully we'll get some uh, visual of uh, of what OKC looks like now. Have they opened the windows? That's right. What I want to know. <laughs> it's the only thing keeping it from being higher on my list is the lack of window opening in the press box. Well, hopefully we'll get to see it very soon. Yes. That's the plan. the plan. Yes. Yeah. Oklahoma also plays BYU before the Houston game. I hope Liberty gives them a game of some kind. That'd be kind of nice to see just mm -hmm. for comparison purposes a little bit. But uh, the other games that stick out to me, Iowa State, Missouri on Saturday and Sunday. Iowa State's already beaten Missouri this year. They're playing again. Absolutely. I, I just want to see how Missouri rebounds, though, because this is their tune-up before conference play. They kind of got kicked in the face by Oklahoma. How do they answer against another good Big 12 team? And also see how Iowa State responds because they got beat 
uh, this past week in an upset matchup. So it's kind of a bounce back for both these teams. Well, that's all the uh, non-SEC games. Tom, I think it's time for us to pick them. What do you think? Let's head home and do it. Oh, boy. We're heading home, driving to the lake, getting ready to go. We've got picks. We've got off the wall. Oh, you fools. You thought we weren't keeping track. We're always watching. All right, it's time to head home. Picks off the wall. All that jazz coming up on the Out of the Box podcast. Ah, yes. The sun is setting. We're eating dips on the dock. It's time to head home, Tom. Very excited. Like, at the end of the broadcast on Sunday, I was like, this is going to be the one of the worst off the walls we've ever had to do. That's, That's sad. Coming up. We've got off the wall coming up. We've got a, a pregame for off the wall. <laughs> and that pregame is picks. You yes. wrecked me in our first year. 2020 doesn't count, but for posterity's sake, you were ahead. You got four correct. I got two. And now here we are in 2021, season three of the Out of the Box podcast. Time to do our SEC series predictions. Remember, folks, if you're scoring at home, which there's really no need to do because I'm going to do it anyway, we're picking who's going to win the series. So, for example, I could say Team A will win two out of three or Team A will sweep, and that's how we track it to get the – series correct you have to be right on the money so if we say alabama sweeps but alabama only wins two out of three we're wrong as we were many times in 20 <laughs> gotcha right got it so we will alternate you can either go first for game one or second for game one up to you tom what do you think i'll uh i'll go first i'll uh i'll oh. elect to receive yes well you're receiving and it's the toughest matchup kentucky at florida to start off oh good yeah the two teams we know the absolute most about have them locked in we know what's happening oh okay so kentucky at florida correct is that kentucky florida? at florida oh so i'm sure i'm sure the florida gator pitching staff is in the lab right now getting everything ready to go for those Kentucky bats that have been absolutely on fire this year. I am going to say that Florida will win two out of three. I think that is just because even though Kentucky's undefeated, I think we know a little bit more about Florida's pitching staff, and I think they're going to be able to get really solid pitching at least twice, um, and then I could see Kentucky winning a, a, a slugfest for the other one. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going Florida two out of three. I think an underrated story in this Kentucky start is a team ERA that is just slightly below two, which is okay, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily in context when you look at the schedule. And Autumn Humes has been fine. Stoddard has been fine. Ballman's been fine. But I don't know if they have the pitching to shut down Adams Lindemann Eccles up at the top of that Florida order and they just need mm-hmm. somebody else to get a hit or two and they'll be fine I think they'll get it I think Florida goes two and one okay LSU at Tennessee here we go Ooh. I hate this it doesn't feel right I'm gonna go LSU two out of three I think they get a game off Rogers I don't like any of the other Tennessee options in the in-between game and I think Rogers is too good to get swept but I feel like even though I'm not totally sure if LSU is elite, I do feel like they're a more complete team than Tennessee. And 
being on the road, I don't think will be as impactful in this situation because it'll be the hitting that I think carries LSU through this series and not the pitching as good as Sinceri looked against Texas this past weekend. I don't know. It's kind of a gut thing. I'm taking LSU yeah. two out of three. I think it's going to be our, our first disagreement uh, so far. I am going to go Tennessee two out of three. I think they've been a little bit more consistent. Yes, they've we've the highest that you and LSU has been really has been good. They've been really, really good, but they have they've had some head scratchers this year. And I'll need to see them have a really consistent weekend in the conference before I will start picking them. I'm not off their bandwagon bandwagon. I certainly wouldn't be shocked if you were correct. But I think as well as Tennessee's playing as, as good as, as Rogers been pitching, uh, I think it's gonna be good enough for them to win the series. Yeah, I think LSU's got just too many options in the circle. Not necessarily great options because Wickersham is a mess right now. I'm just I'm just being honest. And I, I don't know what happened there. Gorsuch, I still don't really trust, but they've got Kilponen with Sinceri. That's still two sure. options that, that Tennessee doesn't have. I don't know. It, it's just my heart compelled me to take LSU. I don't know why. It's just, it was a gut feeling. Go with the gut sometimes. There's nothing wrong with that. All right, Tom, you are uh, up next. It is JDH's series, Arkansas at South Carolina. And the tail spin starts now, Arkansas sweeps. Oh, my gosh. You're all in, aren't you? <laughs> well, at this point, I kind of have to be. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Arkansas again. I, I think the pitching, uh, if they go, if if Mary Half continues to be where she is and they can pitch her twice and Autumn Storms only once or split that Storms half for game number three, uh, I think that's the best case scenario. Still don't know what we have with South Carolina's pitching. Uh, so uh, that's why um, I think Arkansas will be able to mash, mash their way in at least one of the games and then really great pitching from half and storms and Arkansas is 3-0. See, you say that and I was ready to disagree, but now I kind of agree with you. I think I'm going to go Arkansas 2-1. Just because I don't see Carolina getting swept at home, especially with Drotar back. I, again, we don't know how exactly she looks right now. We don't know what was wrong. If it's carryover from the injury in 2020, which I doubt because she was warming up and getting ready to come back when, when the season was canceled. I'm going to go Arkansas 2-1 just because I don't think South Carolina gets swept. But that's also not a very compelling reason. So I don't blame anyone for thinking Arkansas will get the sweep. Mississippi State at Ole Miss, first conference mm-hmm. series for Jamie Traxel. Mississippi State had a five and one week, but maybe the worst five and one week you can have in softball. <laughs> I'm going to take Mississippi State two one, just because the Ole Miss offense isn't consistent enough for me to buy them, even against weak Mississippi State pitching. And, and let's be real, the pitching right now is not good. But I think Mississippi State has too much talent, too much experience. And and frankly, even though it was a bad week, too much momentum. I mean, the Falelua walk-offs really seem to fire that team up. So I like Mississippi State to win two out of three. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go State two out of three there as well. If it was in Sartville, I would be – I'd still be tempted to go with a sweep there as well. But I think in Oxford, you know, big weekend for Jamie Traxel there, starting things off. Yeah, you're right. They, yeah, they, they went five and one somewhat ugly, but they still got five wins yeah. and two of them very dramatically. Uh, so hopefully you can have what you hope is some momentum from that. And then pitching wise, if you're Mississippi State, that's been, you know, the issue this year. 
Maybe the fact that you'll be starting to play some teams that you'll have more of a book on as far as their hitters might help some of these pitchers. We'll see. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to say Mississippi State gets two out of three. I like it. All right. So we're up to our final series. Alabama at Auburn. Tom, you're first. Well, I was I would have been all in. I'm all in on 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 the sweep. And then obviously Sunday happens for Alabama. Auburn's been a lot better than we were expecting, but I'm still going to pick the sweep. Wow. Yeah. I just, I, I really, I think Sunday was uh, just a one-off aberration. And I think this is one of those things where it gave, if nothing else, it gave Patrick Murphy really good coaching points for, for this week. Um, and I can see that that being the case moving forward. I'll feel better, even more better about it. Uh, if we see Johnson pitch against Auburn, for for Troy during the midweek, and if if she gives the Auburn offense that much trouble, uh, I would like to see what the uh, Alabama pitching staff will be able to do. Even if even if Alabama isn't 100 back offensively, and we we see Penta or Yarbrough whoever ends up pitching for Auburn do really well, I think Alabama's pitching will be able to keep them down long enough for the offense to be able to come back. It's a compelling argument. The Auburn offense is the the story here can they have the hitting to back up the pitching that i think they will get i don't think they're going to shut down alabama but there's going to be a game where alabama's got two or three runs and that's it and can they find a way to get four can they find a way to get to lexi kilfoyle or montana fouts or jayla torrance or whoever i mean they've got good producers in the lineup but I don't know. Is there anyone who scares me? Not really. But at the same time, Penta, apparently, from what we understand in our preliminary research, looks a lot like Lackey, who we saw on Sunday for South Alabama, at least style-wise. And it's really hard to get a sweep in Auburn. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be cautious here. I'm gonna go Alabama two out of three. Okay. I, just, I can't pull the trigger. It's understandable. Yeah, but I will say this. If I'm right in the other series, Alabama better not mess around and lose this one because Florida and LSU will already have a leg up. Yeah. This is if there was ever a chance to get off to a good start versus those two, this might be it because Kentucky, we are not sold on them, but maybe they are for real. And LSU's at Tennessee. That's a losable series. If you're yeah. Alabama, you've got a chance to really get off to a, a strong start to conference play this weekend because you know, at the end of the day, you are still facing the team that is ninth, 10th, 11th right now on the SEC, even according to the rankings. Yeah, that's that's the thing, especially considering the fact you don't play LSU during the regular season. You can't you can't afford to drop games to the lower half of the league, especially multiple ones. So that there may be a point this season. I don't know if we'll be there or not, uh, but there may be a point where if you don't sweep, then you're losing ground. I don't know if we're quite there. We'll see how the rest of the the rest of the top of the league ends up doing. It's possible, and this would be one of those type of series for Alabama. Well, if Alabama lost that series, Tom, can you imagine? Just can you imagine the, the reception? Don't want to. Don't want to think about it. Well, maybe we got a little taste on Sunday because Alabama lost to South Alabama. Everyone went crazy. I had stuff ready to go for this week. I had a spiel. I had a speech. And then Alabama lost and off the wall, could finally get back 
to what it was truly intended for. And that was just pointing out dumb crap on social media. <laughs> right. I've yes. gone first like three shows in a row. So Tom, you're hitting lead off here with off the wall. What do you have? Okay. Uh, well, my point is, and I think it will kind of, I'm sure it will give you a jumping off point for your, for your points is I saw today the NCAA softball Facebook page posted just a picture and a caption that said South Alabama upsets number three Alabama in, in Tuscaloosa and showed a picture of South Alabama celebrating. And I, so I said, well, let me look at the comments here because this is the entire, this, this is not just Alabama fans. This is, this go out to everybody. And I'm looking at, through the comments. I'd say 90, 95% of the comments were all congratulations, South Alabama. What a great win, man. Lackey looked amazing. The, you know, the, they, she was, she was absolutely on fire. It was all, Pro South Alabama. I didn't see a single Alabama was overrated. Out this, you know, I saw a couple of Alabama. You could tell they were Alabama fans. They said we or our, you know, our our offense struggled today or something to that effect. But it was all, you know, shouting out the great job that South Alabama did, which just shows you kind of the lack of perspective that those of us that only follow Alabama. And our focus in on Alabama sometimes look look through that lens of, you know, sometimes it's not just Alabama loss. Sometimes the other team wins. Yeah. Sometimes the other team just has a, a great game. We kind of talked about it. That was South Alabama's World Series. That that was one of, if not the most important regular season game South Alabama is going to play all year. For Alabama, it was the getaway game of the T-Town showdown. It it was just, it was the, the nameless opponent. Not making an excuse for it, Alabama should, you know, it should have won the game, frankly, but they didn't. Sometimes the opponent, even if, you know, if you play 10 times, you'll beat that opponent nine times. Sometimes it's that one game. And that's what happened on Sunday. And I thought it was really interesting to look at something that went on kind of a national, you know, we talked with JDH about it as well, is like, if you're not in the bubble of just watching Alabama, then that's just a great win for South Alabama. That's not necessarily season-altering, terrible loss for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, I, I posted earlier on Facebook a comparison from our game on Sunday to Arizona-UCF because it's impossible to ignore. I mean, UCF had a number in front of their name. That's really the only difference. But UCF also just lost to Kennesaw State. Nobody's and, safe, Greg, as, we, no, as we've said. Nobody's safe. But my point was, like, this, this you know, this crap happens. Sometimes it's not your day. Sometimes it is their day. And when those two days converge, it's a yikes and you just have to roll mm -hmm. with it. As, as uh, Nathan Sheehan pointed out on his Twitter, the, the Alabama softball SID, Alabama won the national championship in 2012. And that season included losses to Georgia state and Fordham, Arizona. We just saw it today. Arizona has the Olympic catcher and who at the end of the season, and unless something crazy happens, will be the all-time leader in home runs in NCAA history in that lineup. And they got three hits because the, the opponent pitcher just had a really good day. It happens. Steven Garcia sometimes has a great game and beats Alabama. It happens. It happens in every sport. And even more so in a stick and ball sport where you play 60, 70 games. There's going to be one or two where, where it just it doesn't come together for you. Uh, I don't believe anyone's ever been undefeated. You know, if you're if you're a major league baseball team, a fan of a major league baseball team, the greatest major league baseball team ever lost like 50 games during the regular season. 
it happens. I'm going to, I'm going to give one sidebar before we dig into the post loss comments. First off, somebody commented, I hate the fact you can't watch games without a cable service. These monopolies have to end. I just, I don't understand. I'm sorry. Like what, how, how did you, how do you think you can watch anything without a cable service? What are you trying to do? Like you can't watch Golden Girl reruns on Lifetime without a cable service. Right. Yeah. If you're wanting to watch something on ESPN, ESPN is part of your cable package. So you have to have the cable to watch it. I don't. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense to me either. Like, sorry, not a monopoly. It's called business and entertainment business and television we need to do like an expose but we can have a sit down with megaronowitz and post it on the alabama facebook page and say this is what television business looks like i'm sorry alabama can't be on tv every day and maybe based on sunday we don't want to be all right <laughs> let's go to sunday now okay looks to me some of the holdover seniors need to be benched and some younger kids need to be given a chance to show what they've got the seniors sure didn't get it done. All right, so let's talk about these holdover seniors. That would be Bailey Hemphill, who is hitting 390 right now with an OBP of 500 on the money. Alyssa Brown, who gasp had one hit this week to see her average drop to gasp 348. Oh, God, how yeah. will we ever handle it? Shouldn't um, be a pu- puller scholarship, for goodness sakes. Alexis Mack, who is now, I think, sixth in the SEC in batting average. And, and, and Claire Jenkins, by the way, who had two of the three Alabama hits, including a double that the chalk flew up and for some reason South Alabama didn't see it. <laughs> that, that I was, yeah, I mean, that's the most damning piece of evidence right there. And not like the, not like the freshmen haven't been given opportunities this year. Yeah, has he not watched the last couple of games? Because Kayla Davis has gotten a start, and mm. she's not even a freshman, but still, Cat Grill has gotten a start. Right. KJ Haney got her first at bat this past week. Savannah oh, Woodard is starting right. in the outfield randomly because she just was catching right. pop flies and batting practice. Right. Oh, and by the way, the Alabama team leader in both home runs and RBIs is a true freshman, Bailey Dowling. She's a freshman. Just, uh, just, just putting that out there. Look, if you're going to have a point, just share your work. That's all I ask. And Jayla Torrance, a save and a win. Freshman. I don't get it. I've got more. Hold on. Let me get <laughs> okay. to Sorry. the last yes. couple. Yeah, do it, please. I don't know, but I have felt for a long time that a good hitting coach would be such an asset to this team. We're not covering that one. Uh, we can't. We've done it enough. I, I mean. Uh, but again. there's there's more. <sighs> okay. This, please, is, yeah. this, is what, this is what got me. A young girl should become a better hitter after arriving on campus, not worse. So I read that. I think, okay, the insinuation here is that Alabama's hitters have been falling off in their career, right? Yeah. Naturally, because, again, show your freaking work, people. I went and looked through everyone's batting average, their first season on campus, compared to their career average, not even what they're hitting this year, but what their average is – throughout all four years or three or two, however they've been on campus. Right. Okay. The only person with a dramatically lower batting average career versus first year is Kyra Lockhart because her knee freaking exploded a couple seasons ago and she's had issues getting back hundred percent. Everybody else is either about the same or the batting average has improved greatly. Maddie Morgan is up 120 points. Alyssa Brown is up. 40 points. 
KB Sides is up 70 points. Taylor Clark up 50 points. Kayla Davis up 70 points. Bailey Hemphill's up 30 points from her freshman year. I mean, it, it just goes on. So again, just show your friggin' work. If you're going to say yeah. crap like that, then point out what you're seeing. I'm sorry they went over in a game. Oh no. But when you look at the actual statistics, the batters have actually been improving while they've been in Tuscaloosa. And that's just a fact. I'm not making that up. That's not my opinion. I am reading numbers that show that. Yeah. It, it just kind of goes to show that people have their like their set criticism and they're going to make that critique regardless of what the actual thing that happens is. We see it again. I assume it happens for all fan bases, but you know, we follow Alabama, so we see the Alabama people that do it. It's again, it's not a very small, it's not a very large uh, percentage of the fan base. The, uh, we love that their people are so invested, and that and most most Alabama fans are great. But these people that you know stick out—that's why these people stick out like sore thumbs. And you know, it's the same kind of fan, kind of the same thing as football when people got on the fire Pete Golding bandwagon after there was that crazy game against Ole Miss, and they continued to be on it even after Alabama went on a stretch of six games and they allowed like one touchdown, you have this criticism you're going to go to no matter what happens in the particular game. So that, you know, the, the hitting coach thing has been a, something that people have talked about as though there is some, you know, hitting coach guru that's just sitting there unemployed that, that we're just not going to. And so what is it you think Patrick Murphy and Allison habits do? It's just kind of their, kind of their job as the hitting coach. And then just to, thought that somehow players aren't getting better when it's blatantly obvious people are getting better as, as they continue to be here at Alabama. And if Bailey Dowling gets better than what she is when she first got here, you know, when she went in two or three years, look out. Jayla Torrance will get better under Patrick Murphy and Steffi Van Branco Prothro. And she's going to be, you know, a absolute shutdown number one in two or three years. It makes me sick, honestly, that these people just pop out and I've seen him comment after wins, but it's the same thing. Still can't get hits, need a hitting coach, yada, yada, yada. Mm. But then there are the people who show up after the losses and only after the losses. And that's my final point. Pitiful like normal. What what, 19, what the hell does that mean? 19 and one, by the way. What's the so normal pitiful. part? Yeah. Right. This, is, this man's initials are MB. We have a person on Facebook, MN. I have only seen this person comment after losses every time. I, I look every time. I track this. I've got four years of names. I know who's popping up on the bad games and who's saying nothing after the wins. You're not special. You're not a no. better fan just because you have something to say after a loss. I would just like to see that kept to a minimum if we can. And perhaps maybe it's time to uh, pull out the old blocking machine again for some of these people that just don't learn. Yeah, I, I saw there was somebody got into it with our friend Emily Petek and was making the point that venting frustrations is part of being a good fan and, and point. But there's a difference between being frustrated, but only showing up and pointing out negatives as though you, you have some sort of revelation that nobody else has. That doesn't make you a good fan. It just it kind of makes you a miserable person. It also, as I've said, it gives zero credit to the pitcher. It's not like the pitcher is just throwing batting practice at him and, and Alabama's swinging and missing. You know, the pitcher had something to do with it. 
we can't we couldn't get a hit yeah because lackey was on fire she had she pitched the game of her career so far you know if this happens for an extended period of time then yeah you might have some sort of issue but this is a a, a one game situation yeah give the give the opponent some credit difficult for some people but i know here we are let's sign off do you have anything else to add before we go tom again for have some perspective when as we're as we're moving forward you know again we're playing in a pandemic by the way still still by the way so just be one be happy that there's sports going on that the world is somewhat moving toward normalcy again enjoy that part of it don't don't be angry about things that happen you can be frustrated if alabama doesn't win but let's not attack people that are trying to uh tell you that the world is not ending because of it don't be dumb that's all we ask again that 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 being said i think alabama's gonna sweep this weekend so hopefully it won't matter yeah that's true again as we always say we don't want to do this segment like this but we keep being forced to because people just don't learn you know if if you're going to be there criticizing when they lose be there with a roll tide if they win try that and definitely don't add a roll tide after you say they couldn't get hits. This team stinks. Roll tide. <laughs> right. But roll That's tide not anyway. helpful. <laughs> no, no. That makes it worse, actually. Boils my blood even harder. <laughs> cooking my grits, coach. You're cooking my grits. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'd say I remember the Titans reference for all you cinema fans. We've also got Disney Plus at the Lake Tom, so we can watch anything else. We can watch anything this week. Oh, wow. Looking forward to it. It's going to be great. No one listening to this is invited to a lake, by the way. We don't have the food nor the beds available <laughs> for you people. But if you come to Auburn, I will bring some farcical stickers that we'll toss out to folks. We're going to be amongst the fans and the patrons, Tom, sitting outside. Not our, not our first time being outside at Auburn, but the first time with a legit reason. We'll, we'll take it this say. time. I will say, yes. We've got an Ethernet cord for days as well. So <laughs> stick us in the dugout. We'll still get internet. Good try. <laughs> All right, Tom, as we sign off, where can the people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at T Canterbury, R-T-R-C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y. Uh, and also, you can find us, not this weekend, but when we're at home, uh, the Crimson Tide Sports Network has been putting out some Facebook Lives and Twitter Lives uh, when we are uh, previewing and reviewing uh, games. So uh, check those out as well on the Facebooks and the Twitter. Yeah, you can follow me at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. When CTSM puts something out, odds are I or Tom or both of us will retweet it. So just sure. follow us for those. Or, of course, follow the podcast at Box underscore pod. I'm going to give a rousing heck yeah three games together on radio this week. Tom, where can the people tune in? If you're in the city of Tuscaloosa, you can get us over the airwaves on 93.3 FM. uh, And then you can follow us streaming wise at praise93.3.com or download the praise 93.3 app. And you'll be able to stream us right there to your, uh, to your uh, smartphone. And as always, if you go to rolltide.com on the schedule page for every game, there's a live uh, listen live link that's posted for each and every game so you can just push the button it's there right now i'm looking at it it says listen parentheses 93.3 fm so and if you know how radios work that doesn't mean you can go to your car if you're listening in ohio no that's no tuscaloosa pretty much only for 93.3 and barely even that <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Uh, what a great episode. Thank you so much to Jenny Dalton Hill for joining us. I mean, I, I love talking with her. Who knows which seven innings podcast person will swipe or from or, other 
podcasts or websites. Who knows? Again, thank you to Jenny Dalton Hill for joining us. Thank you, listeners. I mean, you're great. Thanks for tuning in every week. Thank you for uh, interacting with us on Twitter. I feel like the Twitter interactions have been really strong and and really high the last couple of weeks, and we've we've been getting a lot of responses. It it was cool. Like during the during the game, we mentioned the double that that the chalk flew up on. And I was like, are we crazy? Did we not see the chalk fly up? And we actually had people like tweeting us like, yeah, the chalk, chalk flew up. We saw it too. So yeah, that was good. So I was happy to know I wasn't crazy. But yeah, so we appreciate everyone talking with us and, you know, fighting the good fight in the comment section sometimes too. Yes, thank you so much. We we really are grateful for you for so many reasons. <laughs> and just send them a time code and a link if they might be the offenders of some of the off the wall things that we have mentioned so far. Again, mm-hmm. Auburn this weekend, no midweek. We've got time to rest and get ready for a big-time rivalry. Friday, 5 p.m. Central Time. Saturday, 4 p.m. Central Time. Sunday, 2 Central Time. And then we're back next week at UAB on Wednesday. Radio for the next four games. We're together. We're ready to roll. It's going to be a lot of fun, Tom. Let's do it. Very excited. Just like old times. Absolutely. Literally. (laughs) Before the before that evil TV took you away from me some of the time. <laughs> well, you got me until March 20th. Don't worry. About <laughs> so for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Again, thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. And by the way, yes, you can watch the games this weekend, but we certainly hope, especially on the non-TV games, you will tune in as well for the radio broadcast. Again, thanks for joining us here on the Sound of the Box podcast episode. Conference play is here. It's time for the second season. Wipe the slate clean. We're going to work. We'll see you all next time.